Hello, and welcome back to Five Things. I'm your host, Angie B. And as always, I'm thrilled you took some time out of your day to tune in. So thank you so much for being here. I am very excited to kick off this month's new theme on sustainability and all things climate change and renewable energy with an incredible guest. Daniel Kleinman is the founder and CEO of Seaworthy Collective, a 501c3 created to empower a community of current and aspiring ocean innovators and entrepreneurs known as sea change makers. Daniel received his Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Florida, focusing on ocean technology, and is currently pursuing his master's degree in exploration science at the University of Miami. Daniel spent two years as a pilot and test engineer for Bluefin Robotics, Bluefin Unmanned Underwater Vehicles in Boston, and later worked as a contractor for the Navy, contributing to mechanical engineering research and development for maritime systems. He was also recently recognized as a Miami Global Shaper. Please, please, please read his complete bio on the website. He's so impressive. And I will link to anything we discuss on the show today on the website as well. I'm thrilled that he is on this show to talk about the Seaworthy Collective, ocean conservation, the blue economy, empathy, and so much more. Daniel, thank you again so, 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 so much for being on my podcast. This means everything, and I'm so appreciative that you're here. My pleasure. I'm so excited for what you're doing with Seaworthy Collective, and I'm even more excited to be a part of this team, and I've already had the opportunity to meet so many of them, and everyone's just amazing. So it's really exciting to have you on to talk a little bit about Seaworthy Collective, and as well as a few other comments related to the work that you're doing that I want to cover, as, and also in terms of how we can do, you know, provide some practical advice for the listeners. So I want to kick off first with a little bit of that origin story, and, and your bio, and as well as the previous podcast that you did, are going to be linked on the website, so people will have a lot of background context. But yeah, I just want to kind of understand a little bit of how the Seaworthy Collective came to be. Was it a particular moment in time, you know, based on your, based on your amazing background and education and experience with the Navy, et cetera, was there a moment in time where you said, I, I need to launch this? Or was it like a gradual buildup? How did it come along? Yeah, it definitely was gradual. And I don't actually, I love the term organic. Um, you know, for me, I'll give you, I don't know how much my background you, you did in the intro, but you know, for me, it started just by really being centered on my passion, which has always been for ocean science, conservation, and exploration, and kind of realizing how the state of the infrastructure to support developing solutions to address a lot of the problems in that scope, you know, of things like overfishing and plastic pollution and the impacts of global warming and just in general, you know, unhealthy human interaction with the ocean uh, that, you know, the institutions and organizations that we would expect to lead the innovations and solutions to address these problems just 
aren't able to do it anymore. And, and, you know, it isn't a talent problem. It isn't an ability problem. It's the fact that, you know, public funding for the ocean sciences and, and, and research is dwindling globally. And then meanwhile, private interests like fossil fuels and defense companies have arguably monopolized the industry. Um, you know, for me personally, as a marine robotics engineer, you know, that was where I saw the bulk of opportunities. It was really, honestly, somewhat demotivating. Um, and especially as someone who's driven and looking to make a difference, uh, <laughs> you don't really get much more complacent than, than the defense field. <laughs> so it's just this, uh, it for me started with this chip on my shoulder that actually not only was because, you know, I worked at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, which was just an amazing experience validating my, my, my passions, but then finding out they couldn't afford me to bring me back full time because they didn't have the funding or working for Bluefin Robotics, which originally was a spin out of MIT and did all sorts of applications. And then six months into me working there got bought out by a defense contractor. And so then they became purely defense and then actually working for a defense contractor and realizing how intertwined their work was with a major university at UCSD and Scripps Institution of Oceanography, which, you know, there's no shame in that, right? I mean, at the end of the day, these institutions need to need to get by as businesses and, and as, you know, research, uh, right. advancing research, even though uh, it's, you know, doing science kind of as a byproduct of private interest. But for me, I couldn't, I couldn't accept that as, right? I couldn't, you know, take that as a enough um you know for for me it really was this how do we really dedicate ourselves wholeheartedly to these solutions and, and advancing this and so you know i i hit this point in my career where i said you know i i can be in this job that i've been doing in san diego the last three years and be totally comfortable complacent happy you know it, it's a beautiful mm -hmm. city but I knew I'd never validate my passion. And more importantly, I knew I'd never do anything that was as meaningful to me as the work we're doing with Seaworthy. And so for me, combining that as well as my background in innovation and entrepreneurship, uh, being involved with the University Innovation Fellows, an organization of students in innovation and entrepreneurship from all over the world, that really empowered me to think entrepreneurially and know that I could do this kind of work. Um, and lastly, my passion for mentorship, which is a direct result of my time mentoring with that organization. You know, I, I just saw all these pieces coming together. And I said, if I can create this community that will empower people the same way I felt empowered by that organization to go for it and, and make a solution, although for me on a more systemic level, you know, then you know, maybe we could be onto something and really be pushing out these solutions that are really addressing the problems that need to be addressed. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. It, it really does sound like that entrepreneurship and in your case, ocean entrepreneurship journey of there is a problem and you are very well qualified and have the passion and have the drive to explore and create a solution for it. And that is something that, you know, I've heard over and over again with so many entrepreneurs that I've talked with of, you know, of their journey of, of, of figuring out, well, for whatever, for all of these different reasons, these entities, these organizations, these businesses cannot, are not tackling this in the way that you think can be the most effective. So I'm really interested in, in the process because now that you've, you, you know, you gradually came to the conclusion that you needed to start Seaworthy Collective. What was the actual process to do that and to become a 501c3? And the reason I ask that question is because that is such a powerful action step that you just took, right? I know a lot of people that 
are thinking about things that are really, you know, just, you know, giving them a lot of disillusionment or areas that they've noticed where there's just an injustice and they really want to take a step forward to actually take an, you know, to do something, to take an action. What was that actual process like for you for Seaworthy Collective? Well, I, I'm going to probably harp on this organic term a lot <laughs> today. But no problem. I really love true. the term organic. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it is really true because, you know, I had a vision and that vision hasn't really shifted from what I just touched on, mm-hmm. but how that vision actually played out and how, you know, what the best path forward was, was something that I only realized by getting feedback and just fearlessly putting this out there. Right. I mean, step one is getting people bought into the vision, which, you know, bringing you on board and you actually connected me very, very early on in the process. Like, yes, dive buddies. (laughs) I love that story. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, what better way to do networking for the oceans, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. it's where where all meetings should be held. Um, but True. True. but you know, it, it really was this this amazing journey of just saying, well, all right, I'm putting this out there. I'm networking with all these different stakeholders in the space who understand the need, right? The need sells itself, and that number one was uh, just you know, my, taking my experience and having the authenticity, which as far as one of the many growth steps I've taken in this is leaning into a value-driven business. And if you look on our website, I list our values at the, as the acronym anchored because we have anchors in our logo and it's nautical and I love nautical stuff. Um, but it, it really is true. Uh, yeah. You know, it's authenticity is my number one. And for me, my authenticity of saying I was in the field and I'm damn frustrated with the fact that literally no one's doing the meaningful work that needs to be done. Um, and if I have to start the thing that facilitates it, then I will. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, like that authenticity has allowed me to get real with people that are, are leaders in the field and who recognize that, you know, these solutions aren't going to come out of nowhere. They, they you know, kind of put out these sustainable development goals and say, oh, well, you know, they're out there, so it'll happen. And it's like, well, put your money where your mouth is. How? <laughs> right? And right. And I'm just like, it's, it's, it's on us. And so for me, you know, getting it out there, um, the, the journey to, to really learning that we were a 501c3, um, I would say the turning point was a combination of really focusing on our mission being instead of startup driven and, and potentially financially driven, realizing that the startups are an end result of really social impact and empowerment, right? because we're basically empowering people to see an alternative route that has historically been almost, you know, just unavailable to people right. in the open space. It's such a, such a different perspective than thinking public, se- public sector or academia. Like it's just a real disconnect between those two opportunities when there is literally an ocean of opportunity there to tap into. And you know, treating it with that social impact focus and empowerment focus and, you know, more importantly, how we do that, which I've had this really concrete uh, view of our initial short-term benefit to our community, which has been centered around community and credibility. And so that's, you know, bringing together individual mentors, which we have over 20 mentors signed on with us, both from, you know, innovation and entrepreneurship community and the ocean science uh, and innovation sphere you know, and, and leveraging their knowledge, experience, network, resources, expertise for different events to actually get them connected with, you know, people who are current and aspiring innovators and entrepreneurs. But 
more than that, you know, also getting collaborators on board of organizations that share our vision and lend their brand credibility to ours. And so it's a, it's a combination of not just bringing in together the people that we actually want to help raise up and start their own startups, but also the people that are in the community and saying, we see what you're doing, we align with this vision and mission and we support this. And realizing that collectively, no pun intended, you know, mm -hmm. the real goal more than anything is this empowerment thing and that really we're creating this resource hub to empower people and to really build the future scope of what work for the oceans and the blue economy should really look like, which is regenerative, which I'm sure we'll dive into later. Um, yes. And, and, uh, and, you know, and just to, to wrap it all up, you know, that basically in the social, you know, even though we are a 501c3 to start, and that was also spurred by getting our first grant, which was two fully funded Trident RVs, remotely operated vehicles. Which Congratulations. So cool. Yeah, we'll be playing with them pretty soon and, you know, getting them in other people's hands to introduce them to it, to underwater vehicles and marine robotics. But, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, people think if you go a nonprofit, right, like how are you going to be a sustainable business if you're dependent on donations and stuff? And I think what I've realized in my journey is that actually nonprofit and for-profit can coexist if you do it right and it's complicated and I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, but that It's is like a social enterprise model. Exactly. Yeah. A joint, a joint venture actually. Um, where or a joint venture. Yeah. Where basically the work we do as a nonprofit directly facilitates the benefit for the for-profit, but it's not in any way a, you know, financially uh, unkosher thing. Right. I mean, it's, it's literally all of the things that we use to empower people we can use to help build startups. And it's a beautiful, uh, mutually beneficial relationship between, you know, essentially something under all under the same umbrella. Right, right. So you so you mentioned blue economy, you mentioned regenerative, and, and I do want to touch on that because there's themes very much intertwined themes here between bridging this gap, right? Between public sector and the private sector and 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 why that gap is 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 there and, and how we you know how seaworthy collective can bridge that gap. But then of course there's also you know, the business component of it and how that ties into the blue economy, which I, which I want to touch on. And, and of course, to give the listeners a heads up, because there's so many things that I want to cover and, and they're all connected to each other. Then, of course, there's empathy and the role of the individual. So let's start with the blue economy and, trans, and then transition that into the role of the private sector and businesses in all of this. And, oh, and then, of course, I do also want to touch on... Um, and actually, let's talk about this next, because in, in, in a podcast that you did, the Seeds of Top podcast, you mentioned that, you know, you know, fishing, overfishing is a bigger threat right now in the oceans than, than plastic pollution that, that we're, you know, hearing about and, and reading about everywhere. Well, I think the interesting thing for me has been realizing how intertwined those problems actually are. Um, you know, one of the statistics that sticks out to me is that we're on pace to have more fish than, or sorry, more plastic than fish in the ocean in the next 30 years, if not less. Uh, and that's by, by weight. Um, and, you know, at this point, the good thing is, right, ocean plastics have gained visibility as a major problem. And I'm not trying to discount that. But I think people don't realize how overfishing actually not only is a major contributor to that, but is just... I mean, it just has a much greater potential for ecosystem collapse. And we're already seeing that really. 
Um, you know, it's, I've had, uh, I have a spiel that I do and um, it's kind of where I ruin fish for people, but not going to do that here. I don't want to make you lose listeners. Uh, <laughs> but, no, uh, no, I'm sure that's not going to be a problem. It's very interesting. Very interesting. People want to well, hear about this. Well, I think so. So for one of the, no, there's like a lot of different fun facts, not so fun facts that they're out there, but uh, hopefully if you're at all familiar with the ocean plastic problem, mm-hmm. um, and again, just saying how intertwined these issues are, you know, the great Pacific garbage patch, hopefully you guys have heard of it. It's, you know, between Hawaii and California. Um, I believe the last I heard it was three times the size of Texas that's right, or France. Either way, it's massive. Yeah, I'll, I'll provide and, some links to it on the website. There's, there's a couple stories out there about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And guess what the number one greatest contributor to macro, the, the large pieces of plastic that they found there. It was over 40% of the Great Pacific Gar- Garbage Patch. Any guesses? Fishing lines? Yep, fishing nets, exactly. Fishing nets, fishing, fishing lines. Start, ghost nets, ghost nets. Yep, they, ghost they nets, make yeah. up over 40%. And they're made out of plastic and nylon. And, you know, people don't even realize that, you know, if ocean plastics, like, there's a direct contributor and that's before you factor in the sustainability side. And so the sustainability side of course, is that 91st and, and this is actually on the seaworthy website under the, uh, our char- characterizing the problems facing the oceans blog post. Um, you know, that basically 90% of fish stocks have been either exploited or threatened or, um, overexploited. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a fisheries expert. I'm going to put that out there, but, uh, the bottom line is basically the, the, quote unquote, like untouched, you know, percent of fish left in the ocean is 10%. So the idea of sustainability for the oceans inherently is actually flawed (laughs) because Mm. sustainability, right? It it means that you're at a place where, oh, well, if we just keep taking at a rate that we replace what we take, then it's okay. But we're not at an okay place in the ocean right now. And I think there's a real disconnect between our consumer activities and what's out there, right? I mean, the fact that people care enough about their, their, you know, their environmental impacts that they'll cut out meat and then go like pescatarian. And I'm like, is it, I don't, I'm not trying to demonize it, but, but you know, right. No, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. There is no quick fix to this. Mm -hmm. Right. We're, we're educated consumers, but when it comes to food and when it comes to the oceans, it's like out of sight, out of mind. Right. I mean, it's just such a disconnect. And so my, my biggest piece of advice on that is just like, do your research. I mean, apply the same thinking you do to almost any other major pur- purchasing decisions you make to what you eat and where it comes from, right? And that's not just ocean stuff. That's, that's land-based stuff too. Um, but just the fact that we are in an age of informed consumers and informed consumer- consumerism and the oceans have been largely neglected as part of that and you know, there are other components to this as well, as far as human health goes, um, where basically these plastics that are in the oceans, you know, biodegrade and uh, become part of the food chain uh, and magnify up in, in concentrations to the largest predators. That's the part that typically ruins fish for people. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just this, it's just this uh, real, to me, the, the real tragedy is just that and what's really motivating me deep down in my career is the fact that basically we've explored more of the moon and Mars and we have our own oceans and they're dying faster than we can explore them. And if that doesn't motivate you to change something and you're in this space, then, you know, I don't know what will. So it's just, I think getting people to take things seriously, getting people to open their eyes to what's going on out there. Um, 
it, it is, is magnitude of problem. Of course, plastic is, you know, getting the, the, the attention it deserves, but you know, it's, it's neck and neck as far as just. Right. We need to pay attention to what's going on with fish. Yeah. And it's all, it is all connected. And I think you're right. There isn't as much attention right now compared to plastics, right. On this, on this overfishing. And I usually do this whole spiel and the answer I usually get is, but I love sushi. And I'm just like, well, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Again, it's, 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 it's something I want to circle back to, um, after we touch on these other areas, because I, I do want to tie this into the seaworthy collective and, and the role it can play in helping bridge these gaps between, you know, the private sector, the public sector, individuals. So I, I do want to circle back to that, but I want to get to the blue economy now because that is related very much so to this, you know, commercial fishing problem, which of course is leads to overfishing. And the role of these businesses that are running these commercial fisheries and this entire fish trade, really, because you have fish being sent from all over, right, to meet demands in different parts of the world. So it's very, very much connected. Um, what's like, tell me a little bit, Blue Economy 101 for people that, for listeners that have never heard that term, because I, I've heard the term, but I still think it's something that's not as known as much as when you think about ocean conservation and ocean sustainability. Blue economy, I think, is something that's just now starting to gain traction, mainstream traction. Mm-hmm. Well, What's like off, a 101 on, on that? Well, I was going to say, first off, it's better to hear it from someone who's a real expert than, than me. I, I, I just have a little, I'm like five miles wide and one inch deep. I have a <laughs> good, good, good d- diversity of knowledge. Um, but we actually had uh, the CEO of Ocean Exchange, which is an organization that gives out $100,000 grants for sustainable solutions with us last week to take a deeper dive and overview uh, the blue economy. So if you haven't seen that, that's on our website. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, blue economy focuses currently, you know, around commercial solutions from, you know, fishing to shipping to cruises and recreation um, to you know, minerals like oil and gas and defense, um, and also uh, aquaculture, which that's an emerging one, um, and you know, and overall, just really the commercialization of ocean science, right? It's it's commercial applications of it, and you know, where our blue economy is right now is, in my mind, you know, we're trying to gear towards sustainability, right? That is kind of the buzzword of the 2010s, now 2020s, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the interesting part where actually Seaworthy comes in and says, well, that's really just a first step. It's not an end goal. Um, and so if, if I have a little rant for that, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, basically, so, so my view of the blue economy, so that's kind of the, the, the basics, right? But my view and, and Seaworthy's view is, is a step beyond just sustainability. And so let me, let me just break down sustainability as a concept as well. And I did earlier for fishing, but in general, yes, please do. And especially uh, from the seaworthy perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in general, you know, sustainability in essence is we are continuing the practices that got us to this unsustainable point. Right. But we're doing it in a less impactful, less bad way. Right. Where it's, it's not changing what has historically been done is just doing it less impactfully, right? We are still producing plastics and recycling them, 
but they still end up in the ocean, even if they're recycled, right? I mean, it's not like it's a catch-all that prevents it from happening. It's very much right. still happening. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're recycling ocean plastics, although it's cool, and trust me, I'm a sucker for buying those products. <laughs> but I am too, and, and I think most people are. You know. Right. But at the same time, you know, it's still keeping plastic in the supply chain, right? It's not solving the problem. And the problem is we need to figure out ways to get plastic out of the supply chain altogether, right? We need to find mm -hmm. ways to actually allow us to completely substitute plastic and make sure that whatever is going into the ocean is healthy for the ocean or doesn't impact it whatsoever. And that's things like bioplastic and like algae-based plastics and honestly things that probably are beyond my realm of understanding. Uh, but getting back to the fishing example, right? I mean, fishing in itself, is, this is also a potentially controversial statement, but in my mind is very archaic. I mean, if you told me, right, I love doing terrestrial equivalents. Like if you told me that to get, you know, to get your meat for your burger, right, that you had to like scoop an entire forest and kill a lot of surrounding wildlife like horses and, and you know, goats to be able to get your burger meat, right? Would you still eat it? I mean, it's the equivalent of what's happening in the oceans. The bycatch is incredible, incredibly, you know, harmful to the environment and what they have to do, especially now with how, much less fish there are in the ocean they're they're rating <laughs> they're rating much deeper waters than we've even explored right they, we don't even know what their impact is to be able to produce the yields that they're they need to stay in business and to appease demand and part of that actually is you know basically because they can't find the fish that they actually need so they replace it with other fish meat that's like the same color and consumers don't know the difference uh, but beyond that, um, you know, it's just this point of we take and we take and we take and we think we're taking sustainable yields, which I mentioned earlier. And the reality is that's not really realistic. <laughs> um, and that the only way to truly allow the oceans to regenerate and grow and have real populations out there that may sustainably be taken from eventually once they have actually regrown is by, you know, offsetting it with actual aquaculture, right? Which is in my mind, kind of open ocean fish farming, basically, um, or, or um, right. call it free range. Uh, <laughs> but free range. Uh, underwater free range yeah. farming, and, yes. And, and that's, you know, less environmentally harmful as well and better for the fish. But, you know, it's just these, these practices that basically say, okay, we are letting nature be nature natural and keeping it undisturbed by humans for the first time in centuries, if not thousands of years, and, you know, creating solutions that actually help offset our impact and, and help make our interaction with the oceans healthier. Um, that's the essence of regeneration. And that's this, that's what the solutions that we look to help empower for through Seaworthy. So some of the things that you mentioned just now are massive undertakings, right? How do we get plastic out of the supply chain? Mm -hmm. Massive undertaking, right? Who, in your opinion, should be leading that effort. I, I, obviously, it's a joint effort. I mean, to do something like that, it takes every, everyone's buy-in, local community, governments, businesses, individuals, everyone. But who should be leading that effort? Should businesses be leading that effort? Should businesses say, you know what, we are going to, for example, I think it was, um, I think it was like Starbucks that were like, we're going to phase out straws you know, or should it be the individual? Should it be the government? Who should really be stepping up here? Because it's, it, for me, that's when I think about, you know, when I start thinking about these issues and something so, so massive like this that needs to, to, cause I agree with you, plastics, any way you look at it, it it's, it's creates a 
massive problem, right? So how do we solve that? Who should, who should be leading the way on this issue, in your opinion? Well, uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that with uh, a little systemic kind of overview. Um, you know, first off, I think we've already learned that we can't trust the government to do that. <laughs> Straight up, I mean, even I mean, honestly, regardless of whether it's Republican or Democrat, right? I mean, I don't think that 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 level of change is ever gonna come from a government source. It just moves too slowly, and for the level of action and urgency that we need now, not only in plastics but in all regards for ocean environmentalism, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not. Gonna from the government. And so that leads me to saying that, yes, it is business driven, but not in the way that you just described, but instead okay. by businesses actually, startup businesses and new businesses developing to say, hey, consumers, we have, well, actually it's, it's not just consumers, but business to business even, we have a solution that we can basically write that the trade-off is our benefit is we don't, we don't impact the environment nearly as harmfully as plastics. And so you know, if you can make a straw that's made out of, you know, biodegradable plant-based, right. Or, or algae-based, whatever plastic, um, and make it the same price as a plastic straw, then every business will turn to plastic straws, right. It's, it's, it's the competitive, right. Nature of, 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 uh, you know, of, of our economy, right. And, and capitalism, it's just, we have to literally, you know, uh, allow these businesses or help enable these businesses to compete. And that's to me, the only hope we have really, um, I think at this point we're, we're past the point of what is right that, you know, doing the right thing, uh, governing the stakeholders and decision makers. It's, it's really now about, it has to be both environmentally and financially beneficial. That's, that's the one way we're going to see adoption and to do that. Right it's not going to be just one company. It's, it's going to be a flurry of companies offering different solutions that, you know, people, people are able to get access to. Right. I mean, right now there are a bunch of companies that are trying to recycle ocean plastic or like sell you a reusable water bottle that takes plastic out of the ocean through their cleanup efforts. But, you know, the bigger picture thing is saying, well, you know, we're, there's, there's going to be organizations that create, you know, whether it's paper-based straws, which I'm not thrilled with, but you know, alternative yeah, those are not those are not yeah. the most user-friendly straws no. ever I, I like my metal straws so far my i think they're yeah. aluminum or something yeah I, yeah I, I do like the one that like folds up for a keychain but these days especially with uh sanitation it's tricky um but you know just overall though you know it really is we have to drive we have to drive it through capitalism we have to enable these new innovations to to beat the current market and i think the Consumers value that and companies know that, but until it's fiscally doable and they say, okay, we're willing to either pay the same or maybe a tiny bit more to do better for the environment and it's anywhere in the same ballpark, you know, that, that overall shift isn't going to happen. And it's tough, but that's, that's, you know, that's business, right? I mean, a lot of businesses can't afford to, to pay the extra, extra money for something that solves the same problem. And you know, I do believe that we are shifting toward a more environmentally valuing consumer base, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I think we really have to think about out competing with, you know, equal price points and better, you know, and better value. Um, and if, if that doesn't drive it, you know, the other side is again, kind of getting back to the fishing point, right? Like shifting aquaculture as well, right? That will eliminate fishing nets from being out there too. Um, so right. there's, there's, 
there's a lot of different ways to tackle it. And, and, you know, I've, I've, people have asked me, you know, am I worried about people competing with Seaworthy? And I'm like, no, we, we need more incubators and accelerators out there. We need people helping to facilitate these solutions. I, I, I actually just had a call this week with someone who's trying to start something like Seaworthy in the UK, and I'm happy to support her in, in developing it because it's, it's a radically collaborative effort to get these solutions ASAP. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that that's a great approach with what you're trying, to, you know, what Seaworthy, Seaworthy Collective is, is all about and, and the, the problems that we're facing right now with, the, with our oceans demand a collaborative worldwide effort. I just don't see how we can tackle it otherwise, right? Um, but, it, but I think it's great that organizations like Seaworthy Collective are stepping up to help organize these efforts to help bring people together. And I, and I do, and I, like I said, I'm going to circle back um, to get more specific about Seaworthy and what Seaworthy Collective, you know, wants to do. But I want to touch quickly on the role of the individual and empathy. You talk about empathy and getting people to care, right? That's super important. And, and if an individual cares, an individual leads, you know, runs a business, then, you know, that individual can get the business to care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I have kind of an interesting perspective on that as well. I, I, I completely agree with empathy, but I also think that there are people that do care. They just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know where to begin that process. I've taken steps in my life to reduce the amount of plastic that I use. And the moment I made that decision, I realized, oh my gosh, I use so much plastic. I mean, it's, sad how much plastic I go through. Containers, packaging, so many plastic, so many things. And even as someone who's already aware of, you know, don't buy water bottles and things like this, even when I started doing, you know, going down this road, I, I was, you know, I really surprised myself at just how much I interact with plastic on a, on a regular basis. And I think self-awareness of you know, your own behaviors is really important process, you know, a step in the process of living a more sustainable life. But I I think people, I think there are people out there that care and they just don't know where to begin practically. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's so much to take in. Yes. You know, there's plastic in the oceans. We're overfishing. Um, There are so many things going on, but when you really break it down, to the day-to-day for the individual, I think that's where it can get a little bit overwhelming. And, and I've been thinking a lot about practical applications that anyone listening to this can say, okay, I'm going to start doing this, or this is something that I can do to at least play that's, you know, however big or small part in these, in this bigger global effort, right? What are your thoughts on that? Because and I'm sure there are people out there that just don't care. Or they don't, or they're just not, they, you know, they just don't care. They're just not aware. They don't care. They're not looking into it. They change the channel if the topic comes on. They're not actively trying to engage in, in any type of conservation at all. So I think those people are out there. And, and it's important, obviously, to, you know, to, to bring them on to the, the right side of things. Mm-hmm. But, but what about the people that do care, that do want to do something, but it's just so overwhelming. Yes, we're killing our oceans. Okay, so what can, you know, what do I do? What, what's your thoughts on that? 
Well, you know, to start, um, I'm, I will, I will circle back to the individual, but I want to start on a systemic level, right? I okay. mean, the fact that there's so much pressure on consumers and even, you know, I'm sure I added to it with some of my stuff earlier. Like I, I do want to say it is not just our fault, right? It is the right. system. And, and I'm not trying to be conspiratorial, but like <laughs> it's the system, right? I mean, we are set up in a, in a society that revolves around plastic. We, you know, encourage businesses to save their bottom line and take the cheapest routes, right. To having plastic utensils and, um, and packaging and, you know, there is, there is something on a much larger level that although it is consumer driven, you know, again, can be attacked from a lot of different sides, policy and, um, economic development opportunities. Like, you know, imagine if the U.S. became the leading producer of bioplastics, right? Like that would be awesome. But um, getting back to the individual side, you know, I, I think number one, one of the really awesome things that I've discovered through Seaworthy has been this notion that truly the um, oh, just the 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 impact of an individual isn't limited to your own consumer decisions. And I think the fact is, a lot of people have interdisciplinary um, abilities that they contribute that they don't even realize they can contribute to the ocean space. Um, Love it. Go on. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And I mean, that's right. We have right. people who are mentors in innovation and entrepreneurship who, you know, don't have a thing to do with the ocean. Uh, just this week I had Shailen uh, on our, on our uh, event who, uh, you know, he's in science policy and government governance and he, had a great time talking about the blue economy, even though that's not his thing. It, you know, it's the fact that there are so many parallels in what's happening in the bigger picture that tie into the blue economy. But beyond that, it's just the basics of, we need people to help, you know, people get more entrepreneurial and innovative for the ocean space. And that is yeah, that is interdisciplinary. You know, that is, there is no set degree for that. I mean, I'm an engineer, right. I'm a mechanical engineer, and yes, I kind of specialized in ocean stuff, but my degree would typically limit me away from ocean stuff. And primarily most of my friends went off to SpaceX. So, you know, it's, it's just the fact that as individuals, we focus so much on the consumer side, which I will get to, but the real root of, to me, barrier, overcoming barriers for helping the oceans starts with the fact that we all have skills and resources to offer for this space and we need to, need to think more broadly about the applications of those to start. And so that's part of why Seaworthy exists is just to create that bridge because, you know, quite literally the ocean space has been on its own island, disconnected from innovation and entrepreneurship mm -hmm. resources, business development resources. Like yeah. we need we need people to start fostering that and lending their experience and skills to that. And then of course, on the consumer level, you know, I mean, uh, the, the role of empathy as a consumer, again, to me, starts with being educated and informed and basically right. willingness to do that. And, um, you know, we have some great resources on our site to do it. Um, some and I'll link to all of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, our collaborators have, have some information as well, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't like guilt-driven decision-making. I don't like people thinking that, well, I, you know, use plastic bags for years, so I feel bad, so I should do it. It's more about kind of the world we want to create and, you know, building, I don't know, I like to say building models for our behavior and our interactions with the oceans for the future. And, you know, 
do I think that plastics are going to get out of the supply chain anytime soon? No, I, I think changing the system takes a lot of time and culture yes. change. And that is an enormous task. But if we start by building not only empathy within our own lives toward these seemingly out of sight and unreachable issues, and then hopefully getting that into our leadership and stakeholders and policymakers and big businesses, it can trickle upwards, uh, you know, and, and really hopefully magnify as it gets up the chain. But it's a mix. It's, it's at the end of the day, you know, you do what you can, but we need to drive systemic change. And if the system isn't serving us and isn't enabling this, then we have to find ways to make it happen. And, you know, incubators and accelerators are one way, uh, getting involved in, you know, ocean conservation and policy making efforts is another way. Um, you know, it's not just your consumer decision-making and also volunteering your expertise to organizations trying to get these uh, ocean businesses up and running, right? Like that's, that's the yeah. real it, it's empowerment and, and creating a, a real momentum toward changing the paradigm of our interaction with the oceans. I really am so happy that you said that because I think that's a very, very, very valuable point for listeners and everyone that what are your, you know, what unique skill sets do you bring to the table that can help drive these efforts forward? That's a very powerful statement. And, and I agree with you and I appreciate that additional perspective because yes, it is, you know, consumer decisions is part of it, but there's so much more. Um, to that story. So I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that's super important for people to understand that they can bring their, you know, bring their unique skill set, look around, what can you, you know, what can you do to help drive these types of changes? And yeah, and, and that is what leads to, you know, moving the needle, right? So I, I think that's very powerful that you shared that. So thank you. I appreciate that. And, and also to add to it too, you know, we are becoming a more diverse and inclusive world and that's mm -hmm. not just in, you know, gender, race, and ethnicity, but that's in skill set, background, you know, nothing define limits you or defines right. what you're supposed to do except for you. Right. Even your so, geography, because, you know, exactly. you could be someplace that brings a per different perspective to the table as well that mm -hmm. somebody in a drier climate or in a more humid climate wouldn't have thought of. And so I, 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 completely agree with with that. I think that's great. So I want to just bring everything full circle because all of these all of these themes, all of these things that we discussed today are all connected as 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 we've as we've said. How does Seaworthy Collective envision or or what is the the pathway now for Seaworthy Collective um, in terms of bringing these these groups together. So far, you've had some amazing online events where you've featured some incredible speakers, and I highly encourage um, listeners to, to, you know, check those out, but also sign up for the newsletter to find, you know, to stay up to date with all upcoming events, because I honestly, after each single one of those events, I have like a page of notes and so so many new insights and ideas and just perspectives that I never thought of. I want to, you know, talk specifically about Seaworthy now and with everything that we discussed, what's the pathway forward for Seaworthy Collective? 
Yeah, well, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier. We're right now really starting out focusing on our community and our credibility. And so that's been building up our network of mentors that we have over 20 different mentors on board from innovation and entrepreneurship to the ocean sciences, but also bringing on strategic collaborators. Um, you know, we've, we've been in talks with organizations like Beneath the Waves, but University of Miami, Rosen Seal School is on board with us already. Um, we have actually a really cool uh, regenerative organization called the Regenerative Resources Co. They are doing some incredible kind of systems level projects of, you know, combining aquaculture with agriculture and mangrove afforestation. Um, you know, it's just, it's been really not only building out our community of people coming to our events, but our community of resources to tap into. But beyond that, um, our, our bigger future focus, right, is, is to develop these tangible solutions, right? I'm, I'm an engineer. I will not be satisfied if we're all theoretical. So it's, you know, right now we're building up our knowledge base, our, our network and resources to offer to aspiring, current and aspiring innovators and entrepreneurs, right? And the initial goal uh, early next year is to have a pitch competition where basically people with ideas can come to us, throw them out there and kind of have their foot in the door to get into our incubator program that we'll be launching a little later into next year. And you know, the real goal is that basically we build up all these resources, all of this credibility and network and, um, and catalyst really to grow your knowledge, expertise and startup uh, in the ocean space. And that, you know, getting the, both the inspiration, which is kind of one of our main focuses of our panels is an inspiration focused panel of deep diving expertise, which is what we had this week. Um, and introductory workshops where you get introduced to the concepts like the blue economy or like design thinking and innovation strategies, right? It's, it's really coming it from both sides as we're not just trying to serve the experts, but we're also trying to get your foot in the door and, and first steps into what we do in our fields. Um, and so taking all of that and then channeling that into something where you not only have, you know, an eight week or more program to really build your startup up, but also have investors lined up ready to hopefully invest in your startup. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be picky because I'm, you know, we've been building this brand and I want to make sure that we aren't just creating, you know, the next water bottle company, like no offense to them, but that's not <laughs> right. Right. We're, we're looking for real solutions, scalable and, and solutions. Have, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Regenerative solutions. And, you know, it's, no. and, 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 you know, I've talked to investors and, and that's where, that's what they want to hear. They don't want another water bottle company. They want real tangible solutions that are making a difference. And the fact that investors are interested in that um, is something really exciting that we're just starting to tap into. And now that we are a 501c3, you know, we're, we're going to be, well, we actually already are taking in our first grant with the ROVs, but, um, you know, hopefully we lined up to start building up funding for our actual program. And we're really excited about that. Wonderful. And I'm really excited about that. I think it's absolutely amazing. So necessary. Just a phenomenal program. And when the incubator launches next year, I think that's going to be great as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I really feel like I could talk about this for so much longer, but um, I, I so appreciate you coming on board. I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I know you have so much going on already, and I kudos to you for doing the master's degree and you know launching this startup and the events. You're you're amazing. You're absolutely amazing. So um, I I don't want to keep you forever, but okay. um, but I do appreciate <laughs> you coming on and 
sharing information about Seaworthy Collective and the plans, um, you know, looking ahead. This is awesome. So I, I really appreciate it. Well, I'm thrilled to share and, you know, take a deeper dive with anyone who is interested. You know, part of my, my goal of Seaworthy is to be accessible, right? I mean, that's the whole point is making not only the oceans accessible, but making leaders in this field accessible. I mean, for me, I scratched and clawed my way to get into, get into the field. And so, you know, part of actually getting back to empathy for a second is literally, you know, saying, I understand what it's like to, to be, you know, wanting to get into something and not have the opportunity, not have someone willing to listen. And, you know, our goal is to make this field accessible to people. And, um, and I'm, I'm thrilled to, to have the opportunity to put us out there and put that out there for people to hopefully get introduced to us and even connect with us. Um, and, you know, obviously thrilled to have you on board as well, Angela. Oh, I'm, I'm beyond thrilled. Like I'm so, so honored and happy to be a part of it. And um, yeah, I'm just so excited for everything that's in store. Good things, good things on the horizon. Absolutely. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to link to all of the things that we discussed today, the website, I will link to the social media channels. I'll link to the other podcasts. I'll link to some blue economy um, resources and links also to the big, the plastic now I'm forgetting what it's called. The big plastic batch Great. thing. Yes, yes. Thank you. I'm just, my brain is like, yes, thank you so much. I'm going to link okay. articles to that as well um, for, for um, listeners that are not, too, not, not familiar. And um, we'll make sure that all of, all of the resources and things like that are easily accessible from my website as well. Um, so, Daniel, again, thank you so, so much. And to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this week. I truly appreciate it. Please check us out next week. We'll have more amazing guests still on the theme of sustainability. So I think you're really going to um, get so much value and so much more knowledge as this theme continues forward. Thank you again for listening. And until next week, take care.